You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit sovgracechurch.ca. Well, this morning I will be uh, preaching from the parable of the talents, but uh, let me pray before we look at God's word. Well, Father, I'm reminded this morning of the words of Jesus in John 15 when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So, Father, I feel that personally as I stand here to teach your word. And I feel for everyone who sits in pews that even listening and loving you with all their mind is hard and we cannot do that apart from Christ. So we ask for your help. I also think of that passage in Luke 11 when Jesus teaches us to ask for the Holy Spirit and Father, how you are kind to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So we pray for more and more of the Holy Spirit for me in the preaching and for everyone here in the receiving of your word to your glory and honor, the glory of Christ. May your word strengthen your people. As we sang just minutes ago, may it be strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen, well, I am looking out at a number of people wearing masks this morning, and that is obviously because of COVID-19. Right now, scientists are doing experiments all over the place. Research is being done and tests as they seek to grow in their knowledge of COVID-19 and seek to find a cure and a vaccine that will be effective. If they do, what will the medical community do with that knowledge? Well, we trust and we hope that they will use that knowledge for the good of humanity. And once you are informed and have that knowledge, you will have a choice. What will you do with that knowledge? Will you get the vaccine? Essentially, this is the question. What will you do with the knowledge you receive? In Matthew's gospel, the parable of the talents is essentially challenging us and exhorting us with that question. What will you do with your knowledge? And not the first time in the gospel, Matthew is pressing in as he records the words of Jesus, what will you do with your knowledge of Jesus? Well, Matthew uses this parable to teach this simple truth. You will give an account to Jesus for what you do with your knowledge of him. This is the simple truth that we're going to look at this morning. You will give an account to Jesus for what you do with your knowledge of him. 
Now, this parable is, to, is designed to inspire faithfulness for your eternal joy, but there are byproduct blessings of peace that dispels anxiety as you live in the light of this truth. This truth today may reorient you and give you joy even now in anticipation of that day. These are byproducts. But right now, what I want to do is lay out for you a simple outline, a roadmap of what we're going to do this morning. First, what I'm going to do is demonstrate the truth of the parable, just walking through the parable and using Matthew 13 to help us understand the parable of the talents. And then secondly, we will consider some applications. So first, just walking through the parable and considering this truth that you will give an account to Jesus for what you do with your knowledge of him. Well, parables have punchlines, and this parable has a cryptic saying as the punchline of the parable. And these punchlines usually come near the end of the parable, and that is the case in this one. So please, if you will, you can look on the screen or open your Bible. Please look at verse 29. Jesus says, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This cryptic saying is used only one other time in Matthew's gospel, in chapter 13, and that can certainly help us here. So listen to Matthew chapter 13, verse 10 and following. In the middle of verse 10, this is what Matthew writes. The disciples came and said to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, please look closely at verse 11. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. That is, who Jesus is and the kingdom requirements, his disciples had been given more knowledge than others. But for those who don't really know Jesus, or at least not as much as the disciples, whatever knowledge they have of Jesus is actually going to be taken away. The blurry vision will get blurrier. <laughs> so does Jesus' use of this cryptic saying, is it used in the same way in the parable of the talents? Well, let's see. 
Now, a talent is a lot of money. Scholars, they don't know the exact equivalent, and they guess. And if you read a good commentary, you could read that one talent would be at least hundreds of thousands of dollars, and maybe even upwards to, say, a million dollars. Now, keep in mind, these commentator, com- these are often American writers, uh, so you can do the conversion into Canadian dollars. Well, Jesus is painting a picture of an extremely wealthy businessman who goes on a journey, and he entrusts three servants with large amounts of money, diversifying the funds between them in order to make more money for him while he's away. He is a wise businessman and a very, very wealthy one. Now look at verse 19. Verse 19 is the day of accounting. Jesus says, now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The first two servants both double the amount given to them, and whether you read in verse 21 or in verse 23, look at the master's response. Well done. A good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. They have been faithful. They have pleased their master. So he rewards them. They get to enter into their master's massive joy. If the talents represent knowledge of Jesus, as was the case in Matthew 13, then investing knowledge means doing what Jesus says. It means you put into practice the things you hear. It means obedience. To Jesus. Similar to say Matthew 7, the, 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 the different foundations. Will you build your Jesus teaches? Will you build you know, your house on the rock or on the sand? And the point of the parable is that those who are wise and build their house on the rock, they're those who hear the words of Jesus and do them. Right? This isn't a new theme in Matthew's gospel as he enters the climax into the cross and resurrection. He is reinforcing truth in light of the coming and judgment day. So if they invest, that is, if they hear Jesus' words and do them, they are faithful and they will be rewarded with more knowledge of Jesus. Hmm. So does Jesus use the cryptic saying in a similar way in the parable of the talents? Yes, but there is a difference. In Matthew 13, Jesus is talking about the reward of more knowledge of Jesus in this life, increasing in that knowledge in this life. But in the parable of the talents, Jesus is talking about this increased intimate knowledge of Jesus as the reward you receive on judgment day for your everlasting joy. 
Now, some of you have likely heard this passage taught before. You may have been exhorted to use your time, use your abilities, and use your money. Well, everything you have for Jesus, and that application is certainly warranted. It is definitely entailed. But to be precise, to get at the heart of Jesus' teaching as recorded by Matthew, his emphasis and focus is on stewarding knowledge. The parable before it is meant to get you prepared for that day. And now Matthew is doubling down on what Jesus will be looking for on that day. Now, all of this being said, not only is there a diversity in the amount of knowledge that we have, there certainly is a diversity in how it works itself out. Indeed, we have different skills, different capacities, different God-given weaknesses, God-given opportunities, different life stages. All of these things our wise and faithful master will keep in mind There is a diversity of how knowledge will work itself out. I mean, Jesus is sovereign over all the details of our life. And on that day, you will get rewarded with more of what you have faithfully invested, more knowledge of Jesus. What do you want more of? What could you want more than that, Christian? (laughs) Judgment is coming, and what matters most is that we hear Jesus' words and do them his way. Now, interestingly, Jesus spends the majority of the parable talking about the third servant, the slothful, wicked one, which Matthew uses to drive home everything that I've been teaching. Look at verse, please look at verse 24. The third servant says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master replied to him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew? You knew that I reap? where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. You see, the third servant thought he knew the master. But he didn't. And readers, if you've read the Gospel of Matthew, you know Jesus at one point in this Gospel will himself tell you what he's like. Jesus himself, Matthew 11, Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly. He's calling people to come to him. 
In this parable, Jesus is saying, if you really knew me, you would have acted differently. In verse 28, Jesus says, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And the sobering judgment comes in verse 30. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in the next parable, Jesus makes it very clear that all the sheep and the goats will go into everlasting joy or everlasting punishment. You will give an account to Jesus for what you do with your knowledge of him. But how many talents has God given you, my friends? I see a diversity of people before me. Sermons. Godly people in your life who God has given you to disciple you. Bibles and Bible studies. Books and blogs. I wish I could come here, Andrew Kerr. I can catch him online, I suppose. I went to seminary with Brother Andrew. Dear brother he is. But think of all the opportunities you have to learn and receive knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. What a stewardship. I vividly remember walking out of Markham Stouffville Hospital. I remember the snow on the ground in the cold December winter. December the 4th, 2010, I walked out of that hospital with the weightiest nine pounds I have ever carried in my hands. My firstborn child, Caleb Martin McDonald. What a stewardship. Since then, God has given, we, Georgie and I, have walked out of that same hospital with 24 pounds additional, distributed between three other precious children. Another one is coming. But what a stewardship. What a responsibility. Sovereign Grace Church, I know your pastors, we have visited many times here. This church is a church, a very, very wealthy church. Rich in knowledge, accurate, sound theological teaching. And you will give an account to Jesus for what you do with your knowledge of him. Even listening to this sermon is not inconsequential. And to the leaders, I exhort you as I exalt, as I not exalt, exhort myself. James 3.1 is not unrelated or to anyone aspiring to teach. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. The assumption is that those who teaching will have more knowledge with their time they have to study. 
Well, my teaching has already been bleeding into application, so let us officially turn there to the second portion of this message, which I will divide into two parts. First, we're going to look at a number of examples of what this can look like. And then secondly, some clarifications, because parachuting into the 25th chapter of a book does come with some dangers. It's easy to misunderstand things. So first, some examples. These examples are different. The first two are are people. The first person I want us to think about is the example of the Apostle Paul. I'm just opening the door to application now, and I think that he is a good place to start. Remember when Jesus saved him? In Acts 9.5, Paul heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And you know what Saul said? Who are you, Lord? He, he didn't really know Jesus. He thought he knew him. He was pioneering, spearheading a movement to persecute those followers. But once he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his king and savior, everything changed. His life was consumed with what he would say in Philippians 3. I can, nothing compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And when he writes about the purpose of the Christian life, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Paul writes, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For Paul, this is his life. Everything is to please Jesus. Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I I begin there with application because the point is, is that all of the knowledge we receive is knowledge that is to be used to please Jesus in one way or another, knowing that we will give an account on judgment day. We're good at planning for our retirement. We're good at writing wills. We anticipate the days coming and we reverse engineer and plan for it. And this sermon, this message, the parable of talents is designed to get you think, well, what about judgment day? How are you planning, preparing, mobilizing your life for that day? Because all that matters then is how you've pleased Jesus in a wide range of ways now. Well, I think of another example, another person I want to share about my father, my dad, Martin McDonald. He has advanced Parkinson's and his life is full of suffering. It's hard for him to sleep. It's hard for him to walk on a great day. He might be able to get outside and walk a full block. Just not all the way around the block, but just just to the one corner and back. He tries not to tip over. It's safe when he goes with myself or one of my brothers. His wife, my mother, has advanced dementia. She cannot speak words anymore. She's in another, in a home. He can hardly do anything but pray. 
He tries to sleep. He tries to stretch. He tries to eat. And he has four sons. And he prays for us. And he is a great example of a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus, who is not bitter, but he's thanking God in all of his circumstances. I see people suffer, but my father, by God's kind grace, is an example of someone who is rejoicing, who is thankful, who is praying. But this example, oh, it doesn't it look different? Uh, Cyril, you were praying for the brother and his wife and family going to Turkey. Oh, this brother and his family going to Turkey is going to please the Lord Jesus, but the Lord has, or the obedience looks very different for my dad right now. Not just talking about people, be it the Apostle Paul or my own father. Let's think of specific application the way that the Apostle Paul would do often in his letters. Well, let's think about the workplace. Not long ago, I, was, I have three biological brothers. In God's kind grace, they're following the Lord. And not long ago, I was sharing with my younger brother this parable. And he, at the same time, we were meeting at a McDonald's, and I remember him saying to me, talking with the hardships of life in the workplace for him. And then I just asked him, well, this parable that we've been talking about do you think it would make a difference if you kept this truth on your mind as you went to work? And I quote my brother. He looked at me and said, yes, <laughs> this truth means that Jesus is my boss and I'm working for him. As soon as he said that, I thought of Colossians 3, verse 23, when Paul writes, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, for whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. He was telling me, yeah, I got to make it my aim to please the Lord in the midst of the brokenness and the hardships in my workplace. And for all of us, as we do that, doesn't that Remove some of the anxiety. Isn't that freeing and reorienting, even in hard circumstances? Jesus will reward you for hard work and humble service. Making it your aim to please Jesus is reorienting in the workplace. But how about another example? What about parenting? Or what if, you're a ma what if you are the manager, you are the boss, the employer? Uh, any position of authority, what matters most, think of this, parents, and this is hard, I'm preaching to myself here, what matters most is not getting my child or your worker to stop annoying you or frustrating you. There's likely a need for change. <laughs> it must not be ignored. But what matters most, yes, is what you're, what you're responsible for is that you please Jesus in how you lovingly engage with those under your care. Oh, I preach to myself. What matters that we're pleasing Jesus in how we relate to these people under our care and authority. 
Or think of marriage. Georgie and I were doing pre, are doing premarital with a young couple about to get married in September. Our last session was on money, intimacy, and conflict. That's a great session. <laughs> and we had many things to say about these three areas, but before we even dug into all three areas, there's just one truth that is the groundwork for all three. <laughs> it's quite simple. What really matters is that you please Jesus in how you handle money. What really matters in your bedroom is that you are truly honoring and pleasing Jesus in what you're thinking and doing. And what really matters in conflict is not whether you get your way or make someone else happy, but what really matters is that you please Jesus in the conflict that he's ordained for you. Not just marriage, children. Colossians 3.20, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Students, <laughs> I taught as a high school teacher at People's Christian Academy in Markham. And the pressure on the students to get 90 what? 92, not good enough. Why not 93? Why was it just 92? It's so, it saddens my heart when that's coming in a Christian family. I need to get a certain grade so that I can get a certain job so that I can have a certain kind of life. Students of all stripes and all kinds, let me exhort you from the word of God. Study God's world. Study his world. Embrace your studies with God's help the best you can with the time you have given the priorities of your king in such a way that he is pleased. That's what matters, not the number. Not the degree and the letters behind a name so that you can get a certain, oh, I hope you get a good job and flourish in the world and so on and so forth. But what matters is that you are pleasing your king with the mind and the time and the knowledge of him and his priorities that he has given you, which includes not neglecting the fellowship of the saints. Oh, we've looked at many examples. But like I said, when we parachute into the 25th chapter of a book, it is very easy to misunderstand something. So let me offer some clarifications before we seek to land this plane, OK? Four clarifications that I anticipate with a crowd this size, there are likely a few things I need to clarify here that Matthew has clarified earlier in his book. Number one, increasing in knowledge is good. <laughs> it's good. I, I'm sure some of you may be thinking, if more knowledge of Jesus makes me more accountable, I'm nervous about getting more knowledge. Or you may think, I've got so much knowledge, I'm just going to stop getting more knowledge and just work on practicing right now. Don't need to increase in knowledge. 
Well, the problem with the third servant is that he didn't really know what the master was like. Knowledge is actually a good thing. The problem is he didn't truly know who Jesus is and what he is like. But for the other servants, it's precisely because they know him that they're inspired to be loyal and they work hard and obey. This parable is prizing knowledge of Jesus. Getting more knowledge of Jesus will help you to obey him. It will help you to know what actually truly pleases him and even come to understand that Jesus himself has different levels of importance on the things that he cares about. Oh, don't you want to know what's more or less important to Jesus so that you can better live your life in ways that please him? I know, I know, Sovereign Grace Church, you want to please your Savior who you will give an account to. Now, this is what I'm talking about and what we're studying in Matthew is, is, is it comes to us in a succinct way in Paul's prayer to the Colossians. I've heard uh, Jeff Perswell from Sovereign Grace teach on this. Uh, I love some of the leaders and teachers God's given the Sovereign Grace ministries and, and I remember hearing this sermon. He taught the very things I'm teaching you now but in, in Paul's letters. But, but just listen, as, listen to the prayer of Paul. I remember Jeff Percival teaching that you can, you can know the aspirations of God for you in the inscripturated prayers, so God's heart for you. You can feel it in these prayers of Paul. And, and listen to this one. Paul says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Increasing in knowledge so that you not just please him, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God for more knowledge, for more pleasing him and more knowledge for more pleasing him. Increasing in knowledge is good. Clarification number two. Jesus is for you and he wants you to do well. He is for you and he wants you to do well. You see, in this life, you may give an account to people who don't truly love you. All kinds of, many of us, we, we live in situations, you could have even come out of a church where you had a leader who didn't truly love you. It's hard to think about giving an account to someone who doesn't truly doesn't truly have a genuine care for your welfare. But that's not the case with Jesus. Matthew's made it clear from the opening part of the gospel, chapter one, his name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He's gone on a long journey himself all the way from heaven to come down and take the form of a man and not just be 
take on human form, but even to die for us. And not, not just to die for us, but to go down to the shameful death on the cross. This all proves that he is for you. Matthew has written in chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus comes for sinners. He loves sinners. Listen to Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. Again, this is Jesus, not the hard man. This is Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus says, I will give you rest, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He is for you. He wants you to do well. You will give an account to a judge who loves you and whose aspiration for you is to be faithful now and found faithful on that day. Number three, third clarification. You may be tempted to think, well, I've got to start obeying more so that Jesus will accept me. I mean, that's a very common impulse. If you're sitting there and you've been hearing me preach up to this point, you might be thinking, well, I've got to work harder at pleasing Jesus, so then maybe he'll be favorable toward me. Then maybe he'll accept me. No, Matthew has been very clear in Matthew 20. Listen to what Jesus says. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It is true that if You've sinned and you're apart from Jesus. You haven't come to him. You do stand guilty. But that's why he came to remove the guilt, to give his life as a ransom for you on your behalf so that your guilt would be removed and you could enjoy the forgiveness of all of your sins because of the substitutionary sacrifice, voluntary sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf, in your place, so you'll be fully forgiven. In fact, in the next chapter, in Matthew 26, Jesus takes the cup and says to his disciples, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. If your faith is in Christ, God doesn't reject you. He, al he already accepts you. God accepts you. Jesus accepts you. You're forgiven. And he's not calling you to obey to win his acceptance. He's calling you to serve him from a place of acceptance, to have that knowledge in your mind, constantly reminding you your sins are forgiven. Your Savior loves you. And in light of that, inspiring your loyalty to want to serve him. Do you believe that, though? Do you know Jesus as your servant king, as Matthew presents him? The servant who gives his life for you, loves you, and the king who demands your loyalty and obedience. He is not only one or the other, and he is the king to whom we will give an account. If you don't know him, 
Hear his words in Matthew 11, where Jesus says, come to me. Or to Matthew himself in Matthew 9, the tax collector who wrote this gospel, Jesus came to him and said, follow me. (laughs) He comes to sinners and says, follow me. Qualification number four, Jesus calls you to prayer-saturated obedience. Some of you may be thinking, obedience is just so hard. It's too hard. Well, Jesus is not calling you to flex your spiritual muscles and obey. Remember, earlier in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' people are needy, weak people. That's why in the climax of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches in Matthew 7, ask, seek, knock. We're to constantly be living with a sense of reliance as we're asking, seeking, and knocking. God, help me to obey. Help me not to be anxious. Help me to love my enemies. Help me not to lust. Help me not to do spiritual deeds so that people see me, think highly of me, and glorify me. Help me to do it so that people glorify you. Help me, help me, help me. Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness. Part of obeying Jesus, think of the Sermon on the Mount while we're there. It includes asking God for forgiveness for our sins. Jesus anticipates that's something that we'll need to do daily. And that pleases him. We will struggle along the path, but my friends, for those of you in Christ, (laughs) we're talking about prayer-saturated obedience. Prayer-saturated obedience. Obedience. You will give an account to Jesus with what you do with your knowledge of him. And those four clarifications are to infuse the knowledge that you have. So you have an accurate knowledge of what Jesus is calling you to through this passage. So to review those four, four clarifications, this truth should compel you to actually get more knowledge of Jesus to inspire more loyalty. Jesus is for you and wants you to manage knowledge faithfully. Jesus wants you to obey him, not for his acceptance, but from his acceptance. And the obedience he's calling you to is a prayer-saturated obedience for weak and lowly people who are poor in spirit. So we have looked at some examples. I have offered some clarifications. But at the end of this sermon, what I've been teaching is a little different than the opening illustration on COVID. You see, with COVID, I was talking about what you will do, Lord willing, if the vaccine comes, right? Lord willing, hypothetically, what will you do? But right now, the question becomes, this is no longer hypothetical. We have just spent much time in the word, 
growing in our knowledge of Jesus, you have it, those of you with ears to hear. You have just been entrusted with knowledge, be it new knowledge or reminders. And now the question becomes, what will we do with this today? Later today and even at the end of this service before we even leave the building. No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Jesus knows us inside out. So I'd like to close this sermon with three reflection questions that I hope will help you. I hope, Lord willing, will help you to maybe see some things, see yourself the way Jesus does. So we enter in to a true knowledge of kind of how we're doing. Here are three closing reflection questions. Number one, how well do you know Jesus? It's a hard question to answer. It's good for reflection. How well do I know Jesus? May this question lead to new resolves this week. Because wherever, there, wherever your behavior is off, according to this teaching, it's tied to somehow our knowledge of Jesus actually being off. Our functional theology helps us to see how well we truly know Jesus. How well do you know Jesus? Question number two. What or who are you really living for? So what or who am I really living for? Am I really living to please Jesus? Or, you know, it's easy for the steering to get, it's easy for the steering in our vehicles to go off a bit, right? You need to get the steering realigned. Maybe this morning this sermon is just God's gift to you just to help you to get reoriented, realigned with a focus of pleasing Jesus. And that would entail asking God for forgiveness for any traces of self-centeredness and asking and seeking and knocking for God's help to get back on a path that's centered on pleasing Jesus and not myself. And then thirdly and lastly, how does thinking about giving an account to Jesus make you want to please him more? Maybe just think of one thing this week. You know, as you, as you, as you ponder this, how, as I think about giving an account to Jesus, as I even visualize myself before Christ on judgment day, giving an account as I think about it, is there something in my life even now that his finger is on? And he's calling me to fully please Jesus. And you know, that, that where the finger's on that right there. An area of our life where we're not fully pleasing Jesus. He's not the kind of master who points his finger in 12 directions. <laughs> 
what kind of parent, you know, pick a good parent. You pick your spots. You work with your kid based on where they're at. We have a gentle, loving master. If you've got 20, if you feel 20 fingers and overwhelmed, that's probably not coming from your master. But it is like the master by the spirit to convict us of some area in our life and to gently encourage us of his love and his grace to help us to please him more. So these three questions, how well do I know Jesus? Lord, who am I really living for? As I think about giving account to you, Jesus, what is it that I could be, what is it in my life that you're calling me to more fully please you with? We ask these questions prayerfully and we seek God's help because you, I'm sure, like me, we want to get there that day and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Well, let us close with that prayer from Colossians 1. Please pray with me. Father, please fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In Christ's name we pray, amen.